All right, well, look, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you today. So thankful for you. So good to see all of you wonderful, wonderful people today in the house of the Lord. Well, listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 11 and 12. Chapters 11 and 12, we, we are starting uh, our Easter series today. We're beginning today. We're going to, our approach this year to, as we take steps closer to Resurrection Weekend, is looking at things prior to resurrection, looking at the kind of the week of, which would be called Holy Week or Passion Week, into Resurrection and then post-resurrection. And we're going to be looking at some gospel stories of the changes and what was leading up to, to resurrection and what, what, what happened after and what, is, what can happen in our lives after that. And so I want to make sure you pay attention to Easter weekend, Good Friday. Um, we're going to be having a candlelight communion service on Good Friday uh, here. So we'll talk more about that. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday... Our New Life kids are planning a pretty big Easter egg hunt following service that day as well. So we'll have more details pertaining to that at the end of service. But just want to put that on your radar as we begin this series called Resurrected Life. This Easter series is called Resurrected Life. And today we're going to look at this story of Lazarus and what happens during it and what happens right after that. Uh, Let's look at these first few verses in chapter 11. John 11, verse 1 says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, Your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Read that again. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Today we ask that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be in a place to receive what you have to say to us, Lord. Open our eyes, give us revelation, shine your light on it, and let us see what we need to see, hear what we need to hear. Let our lives, oh God, be different and changed because of it. Let it put in us hope. Let it plant within us a strength that we didn't know could exist. God, let there be a peace that is planted in the depth of our soul. Let there just be a a reassurance, God, of trust that we can have in you. In a world, in a time where life is so uncertain, things are so messed up, you are always the same. You never change. And we are thankful. Thank you, Lord, that we can hold your hand through your word and you will take us forward. 
I ask you to speak through me, fill my heart and my mouth, and anoint me, God, for this time. That you would be glorified and your people would be helped in Jesus' name. Everyone can say amen. Amen. So we're looking at this story. This miracle of Lazarus is a somewhat of a foreshadow of the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's also a foreshadow of, of our own lives. And um, how Lazarus, we, we go, you go on through the story and you find out he not only is he sick, but he, he ends up dying before Jesus arrives. Jesus goes a few days later. He's been in the grave for four days. And uh, he's a friend. He's a dear friend of Jesus. And, uh, and so you would kind of think, well, maybe Jesus would have got a little more in a hurry, a little more pep in his step, right, to want to go and help his friend. We kind of think that way sometimes, that you should do it our way. You should do it on our time scale, right? You should answer our prayers in the time that we, before we can even say amen, you should have already done it, God, right? And we kind of can get in that way. Don't you know me, right? Favor ain't fair, you know, that kind of thing. And all of that, we kind of think that sometimes. And Jesus is in this story, and, and it, but he says this statement, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. So this story, this miracle that Jesus is about to do, also shows us that Jesus calls us out from where we are into a new eternal life with him. And he goes on to make some statements. And um, just to kind of set this up, as he, as he makes a decision a couple of days later to actually go to Bethany to see this, what has happened, and to do something, he runs into Martha. His, Martha is Lazarus' sister. Look at what he says, what Jesus says in verse 25. He tells Martha, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And we got to hang on that for a moment because he sets it up and he reminds her that I am, Jesus said about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone and everyone who believes in me will live. Even though he dies, he will live. But the word there is, do you believe this? And that's a question we need to listen to and ask ourselves today. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe this book? Do we really believe these words? Do we really believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Those two go hand in hand. The resurrection and the life. Today I'm going to preach a message called, I'm calling you out to let you go. I'm calling you out to let you go. And he asks this, do you believe? That word has this meaning of to entrust your entire spiritual well-being unto God. So he asks, do you believe? Do you entrust your entire spiritual well-being unto the Lord? And everyone who does that, everyone who believes that, everyone who entrusts their entire spiritual well-being unto God, he says, will live. They will never die. And he goes on. He goes to the scene. He interacts with Mary. And he asks Mary and the mourners, where have you laid him? And they, he's been there for four days. And he says, well, listen, take the stone away. 
And, he, and Martha protests and says, look, he's been dead four days. It's going to be pretty bad. He's going to smell. The smell's going to be, it's going to knock you down. It's going to knock you back a few steps. He goes, it's all right. Let's do this thing. But in the, before he acts on, his, on the next thing, he stops and he prays. Look at it in verse 42. He stops and he prays and he prays out loud. He says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. And I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will, what? Believe you sent me. How about that? Jesus wants us to believe more than we even want to believe sometimes. How many times have we believed in our mind or we believed in our heart, but to get the two synced together is often a challenge? You know, knowledge, we have it up here, we can believe it, but faith in our heart, so to speak, in our soul, in our spirit, is another story. We can read about it all day long, believe it, yeah, with the knowledge, but to believe it in the heart, but to believe it inside. And he, and he prays this prayer, and he stops right before he does this miracle, and he says, look, I'm praying, and I thank God you hear me, but I'm praying this out loud because I want everyone else around And I'm about to do this miracle because I want everyone else around here to believe, to believe. And so he he goes on, and he's like, he wants people to understand that he is the resurrection, and he is the life. And we're going to look at that, what what we're going to talk about in that. Look at verse 43. He goes on, and here's what he says. Lazarus. Today's the day you think you might want to, you know, come out. I mean, what do you think, Mary? Martha, is that good enough? You think, hey, Lazarus, can you hear me, bro? Hey, dog, can you hear me? Lazarus, what is he? What, what is, is that what he's doing? No. Shout! If you were sleeping, I woke you up. <laughs> Stay awake because I might come stand right next to you. Somebody's like, please don't, please don't. I need to turn my hearing aid down. Jesus shouted. What did he shout? Lazarus, come out. Jesus didn't care what people thought of him. Man, I wish I could live that way seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. All my 47 years of so far. But no, I live more of caring what people think about me. You might not. I do. Still a work in progress. But he says, it's been dead four days. He didn't care. He says, Lazarus, come out. Come out. And then when what happened, verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus then told them, I'm not satisfied with him just coming out. I'm not satisfied with just being resurrection. I'm not okay with him just coming out of the grave. I'm not okay with somebody just getting saved, just to get their ticket punched to heaven. I'm not okay with just you riding the coattails of somebody else's faith. I'm not okay with just you coming to church when you feel like it on Sundays. I'm not okay with you singing just because they tell you to sing a thousand hallelujahs a thousand times. Here's what I want to see happen. Not only do I want to resurrect your life, but he says, 
unwrap him and let him go. I want him to not only be resurrected, but I want him to live this resurrected life that I call his butt out of the grave for. I want to save him, I want to redeem him, and I want to restore him, and I want him to be loosed so that he can live this life of purpose for which I created him. Because the picture is, ancient burial was, they would wrap dead people in linen up to about a hundred pounds of it on them. A hundred pounds of linen wrapped around them. And then oftentimes their head would be wrapped even more so that their head was like two feet wide. Some of us think we got the big head now. They got the big head when they died. But what did it do? No good. So literally Lazarus comes out of the grave, wrapped in grave clothes, looking like a mummy. And this miracle can foreshadow our life because so many times we're content with Jesus just just saving us. Just enough. Just enough. But what he says is there's so much more to this life than you just claiming resurrection. There's so much more. It's resurrection and life. Jesus says, I'm calling you out out of your grave of despair and death and discouragement and doubt and all of the things that seem to trap you and hold you. And I'm calling you out so that I can let you go. A resurrected life in Jesus does not look like someone who just gets called out of the grave still walking around mummified. We got too many believers still trapped in cycles of sin, in cycles of setback, in seasons of defeat that they find it very, very, very hard to get out of. Jesus wants to loose you and free you and set you free so you can move forward with what he's called you to be, into what he's called you to be. He's not okay with just saying, okay, with resurrection. That's powerful. That's huge. I'm not, I'm not, you know, minimalizing the work of the cross in the sense of salvation, but there's another part of it. There's life. There's transformation that takes place. There's a change that happens. There's more to this miracle, but we have to entrust our entire spiritual well-being to Jesus. We have to be able to answer that question, do you really believe this? See, the problem is we have allowed the world and its system to take too much ownership in our life. We've allowed the earth to take too much stake in our soul. That we get swayed by what popular opinion says. We get swayed by what every news station outlet says. We get swayed way too much by this world and its earthly system. And that's what sets us up for the second part of what happens after this miracle. See, this miracle helps so many people. In verse 45, it says, Many of the people who were there with Mary believed in Jesus. They were able to entrust their entire spiritual well-being to Him. But then look at verse 46. 
this miracle also upset so many people. So it said some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. No good deed goes unpunished, does it? You try to live a good life, you try to be immoral, you try to do what's right, you try to do some good things for other people, try to be a good example, a good model, a good this, a good that in somebody else's life, and great things happen in you, through you, and for you, and to other people, but then there's some people who just don't like what you do. Naysayers. Why? That's just how the world works. It's full of evil. That happens. It works that way. So this miracle helps so many, but this miracle also upsets so many. And, it, and here's where it upsets some things. This story goes to show a couple things about grave clothed mentality. Grave clothed mentality is, is being attached more to the earth and everything it has to give you, everything it has to offer us, whatever it says, more than the way Jesus said it, more than his kingdom, more than the eternal purpose and the eternal life for which we're called. Because anyone who believes, everyone who believes, everyone who entrusts their entire spiritual well-being in Jesus will not die. You get that? Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who believe, who really believe this, you're not going to die. Though you die on earth, you will not die. You will live. Because one day there will be a new heaven. One day there will be a new earth. We will have new bodies. We will interact in a new way. There will be perfect peace and perfection and beauty forever and ever, and we can't even give it enough forevers. A thousand hallelujahs is still not enough in that day. Think about it. Those who believe will never die. Side note, I'm planning to do an eschatology series in about a month, I believe it is, after Easter, about a week or two, about two weeks after Easter. Just about end times. I'm telling you that now because it's on my mind. But two, I'm telling you that because um, I need to preach it. I need to teach it. And I'm telling you that because I think it's good for us to have as best of a healthy perspective and theological approach to end times. We're going to look through a lot of different things. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be, it's going to be nervous for me. Because I hadn't had to do an eschatological thing since Bible college, like in its fullness and bigger things than what I've, little snippets here and there. So we're going to take some deep dives, all right? So I hope you will come back and join us for that. Side, that was a side note, sorry. Grave clothed mentality. It's, a tie, it's attached and tied more to the earth than it is to eternal. Let's look at this first one. Earthly systems, verse 47. It says, The leading priest and the Pharisees called the high council together. So what are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs, and if we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe in him. There's that word again, believe. Everyone will believe in him. And the Roman army will come, 
and they will destroy, destroy both our temple and our nation. The word temple in the Greek means our position. They will, he, they will destroy both our position and our nation. Earthly systems. If our belief is more in an earthly system than it is in the Savior, then we will go around weighed down and wrapped up by what man can and cannot do for us. All right? If we live with more of a firm hope and belief in an earthly system to be our Savior than Jesus as our Savior and His kingdom as our kingdom, then we will go around wrapped in grave clothes. Sure, we live, we're saved, but we go around wrapped and weighed down by what man can and cannot do for us. If we put our faith and our trust in what man can do for us, then we end up hating man. We end up judging man. We end up cursing man, right? Somebody can't get our order right? What's wrong with you? We expect our man to get it right, right? If somebody doesn't please us and do it our way, what happens? We get extremely upset at other people. Why? Because we put faith in man. Not that man does not have responsibility or shouldn't do their job right or anything to that nature. In general terms, an earthly system is anything that we attach ourselves to or allow itself to be attached to us more than Jesus and his kingdom. Because the way of the kingdom of God works is so much is completely polar of the way this world works. The first shall be last. The greatest among you will be the servant among you, right? Different things like that. And so you have here in this story, you see these, the religious system and the political system working together. There's power play, there's piety, there's status, there's this position that they're all trying to protect. They're all trying to keep. One feeds off the other. One benefits the other. It was built on a set of man-made rules meant to weigh one down instead of set one free. By this time, the Pharisees had created over 600 codified laws. 600 laws to keep. Who in their right mind, who, in, who on their best day can keep 600? <laughs> I still have a problem with speeding. I still look over my shoulder if I see a trooper, right? I've gotten my fair share of tickets, too. And I complained about them. How dare they pull me over? Don't you know what I was about to do? (laughs) You shouldn't be going that fast. Slow it down. 600 laws. Laws meant to weigh people down instead of set people free. And you got this, this religious elite and these political elites working it, working this system, man, to keep God's people and people in general pushed down. Why? Because there was benefit to them. They did not want Jesus to upset the Romans and their system because it benefited them, them being the religious elite. They did not want Jesus to upset them he said, look, if we, kept, if we let this go, 
the Romans are going to come and they're going to destroy our position and our nation. They were not looking out for the best interest of God's people, the religious elite. They were looking out for their pocketbooks. All right? And you and I cannot be duped in full thinking that doesn't go on today. Our, our belief cannot be in an earthly system to save us. Just because we're American Christians does not give us the right to think we're the best ones out there. Because God knows, man, there are some hard, earnest, fervent, fasting, praying believers stuck in some underground church somewhere who don't get credit. probably better preachers not on TV today than there are on TV. People who will flat out look, look a person in the eye and they're, they're not afraid to die in the name of Christ. Why? Because their system is not, their belief is not attached to an earthly system. So you and I have to be careful that I, we don't go around wearing a grave clothed earthly system. We may be saved. We may know all the right words. We can pray real good. We know a lot of scripture. We have have good intention, absolutely. We believe our hearts are right, motivatedly pure. But listen, politically and religiously has never saved anybody. Jesus came not to save a system but to implement a whole new one, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul tells us. Look at this in Galatians. Galatians first, look at chapter 3, verse 26. Paul teaches, he said, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Make sure you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. See, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul knew the law forwards and backwards, left and right, up and down. He knew it. He knew it. Knew all of it. Thought himself as perfect. And he's like, man, I came from that garbage. Called it rubbish. I came from that. That didn't save me. That showed me how messed up I really was. Christ and His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His kindness reached out of heaven, knocked me off my horse and saved me, set my life free. He goes on, verse 2, Listen, I, Paul, tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision, a part of the law to make you right with God, then you don't need Christ. There's no benefit to you. If you can make yourself saved, you don't need a Savior. If you can clean yourself up, you don't need the one who can wash you clean. 
He said, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. For if you're going to try to keep your, make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Verse 13. He said, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, when we put our faith and our belief in an earthly system, eventually it leads to devouring and backbiting. It leads to cutting down. It leads to cursing. It leads to hating each other. It leads to trying to take advantage of one another because I need to make sure I take care of me, myself, and I, right? When we have more faith in an earthly system, we think that earthly system is our whole answer. That if I will vote this way, then that'll make it all right. If I'll do this, I'll make it all right with everybody else. If this plays in, if this card is turned over, then man, I've hit the jackpot. And you see, we're playing it all wrong. We look at it for short-term gains. The Bible t- teaches us to play for long-term benefits. Because eventually our earthly bodies, we will die, we will pass, but we will live forever in our soul. We will not die, those who believe, those who entrust their entire spiritual well-being to Christ. Not only can you live resurrected, but you can also live life as a resurrected believer, free from the grave clothes of earthly systems. But there's another one at play here. Look at it in chapter 12. A few days after this miracle, Jesus goes to the home of Lazarus. They invite him in for a meal. And we're going to get to this other person in here, Mary, in just a moment. But kind of in the middle of this, there's this person, you might have heard of him, his name is Judas. And look at it in verse 4. It says, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, that perfume, and he's speaking of the perfume that Mary poured out, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. He said, that perfume was worth a year's wage. That's a lot of money. Take your whole annual salary. He said, that was worth a year's wage. And he said, it should not have been, he said, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now, that sounds real noble. But John, one of the closest ones to Jesus, says, not that he cared for the poor. That joker didn't care for the poor. He said, he was a thief. And he was in charge of the disciples' money. He often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her, talking about Mary, leave her alone because she did this in preparation for my burial. And he said, you always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus was not belittling or minimalizing the need and the care for the poor. What he was trying to get across is you're missing the whole point of the value of what's happening at this moment. This other part of grave clothes mentality is earthly possessions. Not only can we get trapped into earthly systems, but we can also get trapped with our earthly 
possessions. That if our belief is more in earthly possessions than in Jesus, then what we'll do is go around weighed down and wrapped up and always looking and wanting for more instead of being content with what we get and what we have. Right? I know that's not a popular preaching point. I get it. Because we like our stuff, right? Jesus does not teach against having anything. All right, so don't mix that up. You, if we're all poor, then how, how in the world are we going to help anybody else? You see, throughout the Bible, they were not all poor. Jesus had a treasure. Jesus had stuff. He went around doing good and helping people. You see, in the New Testament church, they brought all their things. They tithed, they gave to assist and to help those in need. All right? People have... But God gives us what, we, what he gives us in order to be a blessing. That's a whole message I preached a couple of weeks ago on being stewardship. God, go check that one out there. But what it is is this. This is what Apostle John teaches in 1 John 2.16. Just listen what he says. He says, the earthly possession, the earthly way is that we would have a gratification of our flesh. We live with the allurement of the things of this world and with an obsession, an obsession, an obsession, an obsession with status and importance. And he said, none of this comes from Father God. All of this comes from the world. Nothing wrong with having anything. But what we have to be careful on is that whatever we have doesn't own us. And that's what Jesus taught on in Matthew 5, or excuse me, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a central theme in a lot of his sermons. This is what he said in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he wraps it up with this one. In verse 33, here's what we rather need to do. Seek the kingdom of God first above all else and live righteously. And he, the Father, will give you everything you need. That's the message of the kingdom. Is that, hey. Seek first, above anything else, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And God will give you everything that you need. We don't have to show our hands, but man, how often do we worry about not... I'm raising my hand. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. How often do I worry about... Stuff. I'm not going to have enough of this. I'm not going to have enough of that. I woke up this morning thinking, man, I'm thinking about, you know, children going to college and them driving and insurance and all these other things. I mean, my life's getting more expensive by the day. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting poor by the minute. I don't know why that kind of... Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe I'm trying to get you to raise your hand. Thank you, Brandon, the honest saint in the house. I appreciate you, sir. God bless you. We'll put a curtain up for confession, all right? (laughs) Wait, that's somebody else, sorry. Um, 
But we worry, right? We worry. And we think, man, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to have that. I got to have, I must arrange this. I must take care of that. I must put this in play. And we, we kind of work ourselves up into this anxiousness about life. And then the whole time, we forget a thousand hallelujahs, God, bigger, greater than anything and everything. And if we will just seek Him first, not as a slot machine, but as King, as Creator, as Glory, as Father God, and His Son Jesus who came, died, buried, resurrected, sits at His right hand and calls us co-heirs with Christ. We reign co-heir with Christ. Last time I checked, Christ did not, He's not missing anything. He's not missing a meal. He's not missing anything. We're co-heirs with Christ. That doesn't mean we get to walk around acting all pious. Okay? Because we're still human on this side. But what it does make us realize is that, man, this world, this earth, it does not own me. I realize I am, Paul talked about this, I am a pilgrim walking through this place. I am just a pilgrim. This is not my home. The earth is not my home. Heaven is my citizenship. My papers have been signed, sealed, and delivered. Heaven is my citizenship. Remember that, saints. Remember that. Let's all remember that. We are not meant to be dictated and controlled by earthly possessions. You can have whatever your bank account says you can have. But don't be owned by anything, that anything, anything on this earth. If our joy is determined by what we have or don't have, then we've got our perception in the wrong place. If our mood is determined by, I didn't like that meal, I'd rather have this meal, we got our priorities out of whack, right? And Judas was, and I'm not comparing anybody to Judas, all right, by all means. And neither is Jesus. But what he is saying, man, we got to be careful that earthly possessions is not what we put our faith in. It's not where we put our our, our spiritual well-being in. It has to be Jesus. But in closing, let's look at what a resurrected life mentality looks like. Chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began. We're approaching that on our calendar. This next week, we, next week is Palm Sunday. It's getting close to that triumphant entry. All right? We're getting close to it, so kind of putting this into perspective of time. Jesus arrived at Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So that miracle had already preceded everyone and. Verse 2, it says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served Lazarus. Of course she did, all right? Isn't that what Martha always does? Martha served and Lazarus was among those who reclined and ate with him. And then here's Mary. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. It's found in northern India, I believe. Truly expensive says she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. 
And the house was filled with the fragrance. And then a reminder in verse 7. Jesus said, She did this in preparation for my burial. Jesus calls us out to let us go. It's resurrection and life. And Mary here shows us what a resurrected life mentality looks like. It's focused on the eternal things, eternal purpose, eternal life, the eternal kingdom of God, making its home in my heart and in my life. A lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. And what she does, she takes this extremely expensive bottle of perfume. Very expensive. It's worth a year's salary. That's a lot for anybody. She breaks it open, pours it all over the feet of Jesus. And her motivation was to to anoint him, not to preach again with his word, but to preach in his burial and ultimately see him resurrected. She anointed him to mark him with this dedication of being buried. She was saying in her way, Showing us a resurrected life, no earthly system, no earthly possession owns me anymore. This Christ, this anointed one, this Jesus, this Messiah, this Son of God, this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, He owns me. Nothing of this earth will control me. Can you, can you get that? I mean, that is what is happening in this story. That's why it just so messes up Judas and others. Like, what is she doing? Yeah, we should have taken that, sold it, and given that and helped the poor. She's showing a much greater picture here. A resurrected life is someone who gets called out but also goes on free. It's not bound. It's not controlled, not dictated, not manipulated, not believing all the hype and the lies of what this earth tells you. No, Jesus owns me. Jesus owns me. I pour it all out. I lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. It's interesting in this story that everyone here, they were preparing for Jesus to die. The religious were preparing for him to die. After the miracle, they began to plot his death. Judas was preparing for him to die. He would soon go and betray Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver, one-tenth of what Mary's perfume cost. He's like, she can pour out 300 pieces. All I need is 30. That'll do. That'll do. 
Mary, of course, was preparing for him to die by anointing him with that costly perfume for his burial. But they were also expecting Jesus to die. The religious were expecting him to die so that they could save their system, so that they could save their status. They didn't care. They just wanted Jesus to be out of the picture so they could keep getting what they got. Judas expected Jesus to die so he could save his financial status in trouble. That's all he cared about was his earthly status of possessions. Mary expected Jesus to die, though, in hopes that his death would lead to eternal life for everyone. Because in her heart, she had already experienced the kindness and the power of his love to save her from sin and deception and death. She was already lost, but Jesus found her and turned her life around. And the question for us out of this story I think we could ask and be asked is this, what do we expect to gain from Jesus' death? What do we expect to gain from his resurrection. Is it just to save our systems? Is it just to save our systems? Make life as easy and comfortable as possible. Don't let stuff get riled up too much in our country, God. Obviously, we don't want to see trouble. No one wakes up wanting it. I mean, people with chips on their shoulder do. But those who are saved... That cannot be our only prayer. That the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is to save our system? When we already know what the Bible says, a new heaven, a new earth is coming. All things made new, ultimately. What do we expect to gain from his death, from his resurrection? To just save our possessions? Let me have more. Let me have more, or let me have more of you, God. Our eternal purpose is for God to consume us, for God to fill us, for God to completely be the one that satisfies us. Jesus calls us out of our graves to let us go free into a resurrected Life. Paul said it this way, last verse, Philippians 3.10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I never liked this second part. But this is part of a resurrected life. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And his is why. Not just to suffer, just to suffer, that stinks. But there's gain. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. One way or another, I love that. So that one way or another, I will experience 
resurrection from the dead. That I will live a resurrected life. Friends, don't mix up God saving you just so life won't have any issues and problems and just so our problems will get solved quickly. Don't mistake pain and issues and tribulations and trials on this earth as God's absence either. But understand, God calls us out of our grave. God calls us out of our grave and He calls the grave clothes to come off of us. That He does not want to see His children living a saved life but bound by, the light, by earth's issues. God does not want to see His children saved but live bound by earth's issues. He wants to see His children free.